Are you ready to take your leadership in your organization to the next level and beyond? Your competitors will be there before you know it. Today's leaders must perpetually innovate their leadership approach, evolve their organizations, and grow faster than the competition. Welcome to Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet innovative leaders who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here is your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, welcome to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. Today, we're going to be talking about disruption and innovation in the credit industry. So, I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute. We help elevate the quality of leadership across the world and work with those leaders to co-create a thriving future. Our work includes assisting leaders in identifying disruptive trends and develop strategies to transform themselves and their organizations to thrive now and in the future. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organization. I'm also a fellow with the International Leadership Association. I am delighted that today our guest is Eric Howard. Eric is the Executive Vice President and Global Head of Experian Data Labs. Experian Data Labs is responsible for developing innovative products and, and generating from breakthrough experimentation, leveraging artificial intelligence and data sets from a variety of sources. He led the creation of labs in the U.S., U.K., and Brazil that support research and development initiatives across the Experian enterprise. Prior to joining Experian, Eric was responsible for new products with Sequoia Capital-backed Green Dog. So today, the future of capital is quickly evolving in today's digital world. Eric Heller joins the program today to share about the importance of virtual and augmented reality, voice and text for credit, and the use of artificial intelligence and machine learning, which are all paramount in the transformation of the credit industry. Eric, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having us on your show. So is there anything else you want to tell our listeners about you before we start the conversation? Well, uh, my role at Experian, which is a data and analytics company with about 17,000 employees uh, uh, that does business in about 40 countries, my role is around new product development and research and development. So our, our four labs uh, are cover the globe. Uh, you mentioned three. There's a fourth in Singapore. And, uh, and we are uh, comprised mostly of uh, data scientists and software engineers and uh, work hand-in-hand in the market and with our various businesses around the globe to bring uh, innovation uh, to life. Fabulous. Thank you for, for sharing and also correcting our missing Singapore. So, so we're going to jump into disruptions and innovation in the credit industry. Let's start with what's the biggest disruption in the credit industry right now? Well, the, uh, probably the, the elephant in the room is, is COVID-19. Clearly, that has been you know, dramatically disruptive as it's forced us all, many of us, uh, to shelter in place in our homes. Uh, that means that the, uh, the way that we may be used to obtaining credit uh, is being uh, really forced in a very major way into a, a, digital, a digital environment. It also means that we need to consider new data assets in the equation uh, in assessing uh, risk and recovery uh, over the next few years related to the virus. 
Uh, I can so, get into a little more detail on, the, on both. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, so, actually, so, yeah, so when we talk about obviously. Yeah, I mean those are pretty big. Those are pretty big changes. So you know, let's talk, let's talk first. Maybe maybe we'll talk first about the the perspective of information. So you know, disease spread has been something that probably we never discussed in the world of credit. Like it, it just does not come up in the four C's. And and so you know, this whole notion that uh, community risk it plays a big role. Who you work for uh, uh, becomes a much bigger role because so many folks are having to shut their doors, at least in a temporary environment. So, you know, we're, we're actually uh, have been forming, like many folks uh, in the disease spread space, uh, like the IHME or, or CDC, uh, more similar akin to Wharton, and looking at how to blend models together to assess community risk and its impact both on uh, consumer risk exposure or vulnerability, uh, as well as small business mm-hmm. risk exposure. Uh, the uh, uh, the notion that uh, uh, we're going to have hot spots uh, around the around mm-hmm. the country over time, you know, getting our hands on the the leading indicators of those hot spots and and making sure that the consumers that are at the greatest risk and they don't have a lot of money in their savings account, uh, they don't have uh, uh, much credit uh, available to them at the time. Making sure that the government has the right exposure. Uh, so that they can form the right programs and policies and making sure that banks have that insight so that they can get the right products in front of those those consumers as quickly uh, as they need them. So you're really other, at this point, and I... Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, and then the, the, other, uh, the other piece of the puzzle, obviously, is on the how do you get, how do you get the credit, credit to somebody if they're, you know, not, in, not walking through a store like maybe they were in the past. Uh, so if you think about... Think about, uh, you know, in, in the past, uh, if you were walking through a, a retailer and you saw a large purchase that you were going to buy, uh, you, might, you might talk to somebody in the store. There might be a take one that you could grab. You might walk up to the register and they suggest that, hey, you know, you, you've got this bundle of goods. Uh, have you, do you have our credit card? And, and that interaction, mm-hmm. you know, is, is kicking a bit, you know, it's, it's starting to happen. You know, it's happening online. You know, you might go through Amazon and Right before you hit go, they say you can have $40 off your purchase if you get this card. But the idea of driving that exchange and making that instant trans, uh, that instant access to credit available before you go through that shopping process is becoming a much bigger part of the equation. And there's going to be a lot of developments uh, in the digital environment that are going to enable consumers to have more of a frictionless and convenient experience when accessing credit. So you're partnering with, I'm assuming, banks, communities, and even folks like the World Health Organization. So, you know, uh, yes yes to all of the above in different ways. So our lab in Brazil actually is partnering with the United Nations, World Health Organization, uh, 10 of the largest universities in the country, a number of banks, a number of uh, businesses that Experian would even consider competitors. Uh, and we've created a, hmm. uh, an analytic sandbox environment uh, hosted by Amazon. Amazon's also part of the a part of our our consortium, and allowing the uh, mixture of various data assets together, where whether it be you know the confirmed cases and uh, information that's passed through the World Health Organization and the CDC uh, into that sandbox, uh, or GPS data to assess the impacts of uh, mobility. Uh, whether it be um, 
around uh, transmission of disease uh, or uh, footfall traffic into small businesses. Uh, and, of course, obviously the data that Experian can contribute as well. Um, it's allowing our best modelers, whether it's at Experian or in the top academic echelons uh, that are part of that consortium, to be able to leverage that data to do a few things. One is to um, further the um, the innovation around modeling for disease spread and getting that right. And the second thing is, like I was saying before, building the right models to identify the consumers and small businesses that are most at need in the moment so we can get the right credit products, our bank partners can get the right credit products to those uh, to those customer bases. It sounds like an amazing service to make sure that our our communities are able to continue functioning. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, in the world of innovation, this has really been a strong pivot. You know, we've, we've had to, you know, typically where we may be innovating around very specific products and going through, I'd say, uh, uh, a longer development cycle, uh, getting, you know, the right input from the market. We have had to react incredibly fast in pulling these pieces together. Um, we've got lots of examples of this. You know, in the U.K., we're working with a... Uh, uh, the, the UK, the UK's Health and Humanity Services, it's called the NHS. It's uh, 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 managed in very specific provinces throughout the UK. So we're working with one of those provinces in in fuel, uh, uh, helping them in terms of prediction for hospital beds and ventilators, and then what do you do in flare-ups and and uh, uh, manage for the, you know be able to predict and manage that you have the right uh, health uh, health uh, facilities available to this, those patients. And then aftercare, is there the right infrastructure in place? You know, you can't have somebody at the hospital for three months because you have to make room for others. So how are you going to manage that process and making sure that they have the right analytics in place so that they can make the right uh, policy and uh, program decisions? So how did, what was required of you internally and the organization to make that pivot happen? Because, again, it sounds, I don't know your business well enough, but it sounds like that is a dramatic shift in what people do on a daily basis, who you partner with, and who buys the results of your data. Yeah, it is a, it is a, it is a shift. Um, I would say, you know, just, just being real, <laughs> real and transparent, uh, the first, first few weeks I would characterize almost as organized chaos. Uh, you know, it was uh, just trying to get our hands around what was happening in the world and, you know, being able to set some clear space aside to think about, okay, where is this all headed and how much of this is in our wheelhouse to help and how much of this is something mm-hmm. that we probably are best focused on other things. So those first three weeks uh, was like, you know, almost like starting a new job and drinking from a fire hose. We were pulling it so much information and having so many very quick and sudden debates. But once we had an idea of how we could help in the market, then it became an exercise of prioritization. So what do we have, okay. you know, in our workflows that, that we could probably back burner for three months or six months while we focus on this, you know, real legitimate need that we have to address and, you know, do our share in the market to help people. And so once we did that, that exercise, which took place maybe over three or four days, uh, then it was a matter mm-hmm. of, of execution. And so, you know, I would say, you know, what might take three months 
uh, just in terms of planning, uh, took place in about three and a half weeks. So that's, uh, uh, you know, the pandemic really, I, I, I would, I wouldn't be surprised if those folks that are in new product development and a lot of other organizations experienced a very similar, uh, frenzied or chaotic, uh, environment as they made quick pivots, uh, to focus on what's needed. So, if it normally takes three three months, and you condense it to three weeks, what changed? Because I'm assuming your process at three months was incredibly efficient, or significantly it, it efficient is. anyway. Yeah, the uh, you you wind up uh, uh, making decisions with less information, and uh, you know that's that's probably you know one of the biggest biggest things. You know you. You like to make decisions based on as much information as 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 can be available to you in the most efficient, timely manner. Um, and in this case, you know, you you really had to make some kind of quick, let's say, in, intuition related rather than statistical uh, analysis. And and so you kind of lean on more uh, intuitive uh, uh, um, uh, strengths rather than in maybe more statistical analysis. To make those judgment calls, uh, but that's that's probably the, the the you know you don't know you like to be more precise in your outcomes. Uh, you know, in our world, we winnow down out of every hundred uh, product ideas that come into uh, uh, our labs, we get about uh, eight hundred a year. Uh, only about forty to fifty are actually get worked on as an initiative. So we're used to the process of of making that that kind of quick judgment decisions, but uh, we still like to have more information. You know, we like to talk to a few clients before we make a call. And in this case, I think we're relying on, you know, what we're hearing on the news, what feedback, uh, limited feedback we're getting from sales for immediate client client insights, uh, what we're getting from our government contacts. And so it was, it was a, a frenzied set of different data points, but less the kind of data points we like to get. Uh, to make make a decision on whether to invest in building something. Interesting. I, I'm just trying to think through exactly what that would look like. So we do the best we can. We we talk about often leaders taking on the mind of the scientist. I I don't know the answer, but I'm good at formulating a hypothesis, and that's, that's right. going to get me going in the right direction. And then I make the smallest decision I can make at any point in time and continue to collect data. Yeah, I'll give you so some examples. A, so, oh, go ahead. So, yeah. No, I would say, so here's some very practical things. So one of the very first things you, you have to ask is, is this, is this temporary or long-term? Is this phenomenon with the pandemic something that uh, is going to be a very quick, quick uh, uh, disruption? And then we go back to business as usual. If the answer to that is, Yes, it's likely to be uh, a quick disruption and back to business as usual. Then the idea of investing any significant amount of time in building new products to solve for whatever challenges mm-hmm. that creates is probably a waste of time. So the magnitude of impact on anything we work on would be pretty limited. And so that's that's when I look at R and D and what we do is kind of we're building we're building the products that are going to move the needle for the company. My initial reaction would be if that's the if that's the hypothesis, let's move on and let's keep focusing on what we've been focusing and this will pass and as it passes we'll we'll get some of these more longer term things out into the market. Oh, this is 
I don't know if you can hear my chihuahua, but this is uh, one of the issues <laughs> of working at home is she's upset that she's uh, outside. So um, <laughs> she just wanted to come and why don't, in bed. Why don't we go on break? You let the dog in, <laughs> and we will be Thank right you. back with our listeners. And I encourage okay. our listeners, as we're talking about Experian and the investments they're making. And as we planned this interview, it was pre-COVID. Uh, so we were talking about disruption and innovation in the credit industry with no expectation that uh, we would be amidst the crisis as, as we are doing this interview. So I encourage our listeners to think about, uh, as Eric's describing the, the significant change with uh, probably very little anticipation of it, and how leaders needed to act to immediately respond, shrinking the innovation cycle from three months to three days. Think about where in your lives you are right now in the midst of those shrinking of cycles and needing to respond more quickly to mitigate the sense of chaos. We will be right back with Maureen Metcalf and Eric Keller uh, talking about innovation. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The Innovative Leadership Institute is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and organization. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, the Innovative Leadership Institute has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the capacity to update how they lead, identify, and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. The Innovative Leadership Institute offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with the Innovative Leadership Institute. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com today. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. You are listening to Innovative Leadership, co-creating our future. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. You are with Maureen Metcalf and Eric Keller, and we're talking about disruption and innovation in the credit industry and little did we know when we booked this conversation that we would be hearing from Eric about the significant disruptions and how Experian data labs are responding to the COVID crisis. So, Eric, um, you talked about, or in our 
pre-conversation, we talked about AI and machine learning, augmented reality, and virtual reality being used in credit. Let's shift to how um, how is that used in the industry and how are you now leveraging it in the midst of the pandemic? Well, so I, uh, I've always had a passion around uh, the notion that, you know, access to credit should be as, as convenient and, and frictionless as, you know, when you use our payment cards today. And, you know, I, 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 I bristle whenever, you know, I see a situation where somebody's standing in line and, and, uh, and they're buying something at a retailer and then they get asked, and you want a credit card, you know, they're at the cash register and, you know, everybody's got to wait while you go through the process. It's, that, that, should be, that should be a relic of the past. Uh, you know, now in this, we'll say, current uh, pandemic environment, uh, you can't even walk through a retailer. And you've seen, you know, obviously credit profile pools, the CFB, CFPB just released, you know, results for the United States uh, last week. And you could see, you know, there's been a drop-off. And, you know, consumer-initiated credit uh, really is, is taking a hit. People buying less cars, people are getting less credit cards. And obviously, you know, they're, they're not really shopping for homes right now. That's really dropped off as well. So how do you provide people with access to credit where they can do more, uh, more from home or more in a, in a, in a non-face-to-face environment? The uh, television networks are all, you know, they're gearing up for this as well. So they see this as a, as a great opportunity. And they've been, you know, as, as the world has been shifting to a more digital environment for television, they've been gearing up for commerce through TV, and we should be seeing, you know, over the next 12 months, new commerce platforms coming to market from uh, guys like Netflix and Amazon, uh, NBC, CBS, and NBC, Universal Comcast just announced last week that they will be bringing to market their new commerce platform. So what does that look like for a consumer, and what does that mean for experience? So you could be watching, you know, a television show and seeing, you know, uh, some furniture in the... Uh, uh, right there on the set for whatever show you're watching and go, gosh, I really like that furniture. I wish I, you know, I wouldn't mind buying it. I wonder how much it costs. And there'll be something along the screen and you may be fortunate enough that the furniture you like, there's a QR code that you can just scan and go ahead and instantly on your mobile device, your iPad, whatever it might be, uh, see that furniture. And if you want, you can order it. And it'll be that easy. So you may be shopping for for goods, clothes, furniture, a new car, maybe that Capital One credit card commercial, all of a sudden you're like, hey, I would like that Capital One credit card. Uh, what do I need to do? And instead of going through some kind of other process to get access to it, you're just going to scan something on your television. Or you might get a text code, and they may say, if, you know, if you want, just text to this, this code, uh, to this number, and we'll, we'll port you into a mobile mobile web experience. Um, or say this keyword to your Alexa or Google device, and we'll go ahead and start the experience where you can talk through it. So we have been, the thing is, we've been working on these things at Experian for almost three years. So we've, we've been putting a tremendous amount of effort, whether it's, it's acquiring credit through text on your phone, whether it's talking to your Alexa or Google device. Uh, we've integrated Alexa and Google with television, so you can talk to your device and then see it rendered on your TV. Scanning QR codes uh, to access credit. We've done all. We've been working on these things for all three years. So the fact that this is all starting to come together, um, granted under the worst of circumstances, but 
it is starting to come together, and we're pretty excited about the fact that we've got those products that can serve that immediate need, uh, and that's what we're, we're focused on right now. So you are, are kind of dual tracking then focusing on the ongoing work. So, so you made the statement earlier that if this uh, quarantine and pandemic looks like it's going to be short-term, you continue your traditional work. If it looks like it's going to be yeah. long-term... And so it sounds so, like yeah, we're, some person. Go ahead. Yeah, so we have definitely have multiple work streams across our, our labs. <laughs> we, uh, as, I, as I said before, we'll, we'll work on about 40 to 50 products a year, uh, and we bring, about, we bring about a dozen new products a year uh, to the market out of those labs. And, and so, yeah, we, we have multiple work streams. The pandemic right now is probably picking up uh, close to half of our resources in building products and services specifically that are pandemic-oriented uh, because of a hypothesis, which is, you know, this, this could be disruptive for a couple years. And, and if it is, mm-hmm. then, then folks are going uh, uh, to need that tracking, going to need that guidance, that forecasting, that predictive power, and they're going to need it for determining who's, who's uh, at, at greatest, greatest need in the moment, whether you're a consumer or small business, or, you know, let's be a bit optimistic and talk about recovery. So when we see, you know, businesses rising up, you know, Phoenix from the ashes, um, you know, businesses, uh, banks are going to want to get close to those businesses and make sure that they have, continue to have access to the capital they need to grow. And so, you know, we're, we're managing, you know, focusing on both sides of that equation uh, so that we can get the right products in place uh, for, for, for our banking clients and the government. Uh, to make you know make the right calls on on their on their half on their side. So, how do you use AI and machine learning to make that happen? I, I mean, you said you're largely a data analytics firm. Can you tell us mm. a little bit about how the analytics come to play? I'm just fascinated by how how the workforce is changing and how we leave people doing that kind of work. Yeah, you know, AI has become uh, so pervasive in in how you knit these pieces together. And I'll give you a few examples so you can understand. It can be uh, as basic. So I'll go from the basic to the extreme. Maybe so. It can be as as basic as I've got uh, uh, data that I'm uh, trying to knit together uh, that's really dirty. So, you know, uh, things like, I'll use an easy example, which is easier to solve, like IBM and international business machines, making sure that that kind of data is knitted together under the same umbrella. We get so much data that is uh, described to us, that the actual descriptive information in a field is so varying, but it's all, it's all up you know, to the same entity or person or whatever. So we'll use AI in different ways just to knit the data together. That's one piece. Second piece is now I've got a bunch of data and I'm looking for patterns in the information. What's the best way to go about figuring out what's happening? So, you know, we'll use something like um, LDA, which is uh, uh, it's a clustering technique. It's the same clustering technique that Google uses when you do a search and you're like, uh, hey, you know, um, uh, what do I feed my my cat? 
uh, you know, and so it may, it may figure out that your cat is a pet and look for particular pet foods. And then your research, your response back will be all these different kinds of pet food for cats, uh, you know, versus, you know, it assuming that it's a bobcat or a lion or something else that you might need to feed it raw meat or whatever. So it, it's, you know, it's kind of really good at taking a search inquiry, looking for the right cluster to map your inquiry to. And to do that, it's had to cluster all that data. And so we'll cluster data and be able to, you know, manually go through and go, okay, I've got, I've got all this information and it's now I've got it pulled in by 50 different clusters. And now I'm going to go try to figure out what those clusters mean. And so it becomes a tool for segmentation so you can try to figure out the signals. The third piece is around prediction. Now I want to figure out, you know, where is the next? I've got enough information to tell me where the hotspots are today. That doesn't tell me where the hotspots are for tomorrow. So how am I going to use this information? Go back in time, try to create tags or, or uh, 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 look-alike so I know what a hotspot is and what information was leading into the creation or prediction of the, the current hotspots I have to try to figure out the hotspots for tomorrow. And that, you know, with a limited amount of information over a limited amount of time, uh, that becomes very, very challenging. And those, those are some of the kinds of things that we're doing. So AI... AI is more, you know, I kind of almost think of it as my right arm. It's, it's more of a tool now that we use, uh, you know, there are different forms of it, different flavors, uh, uh, and, and we use it in pretty much everything that we do. And then the machine learning part of that is that it continues to learn, it continues to learn from every interaction it takes. Oh, that's the holy grail. That's oh. what you always, that's what you always want. You know, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I say that because it's not all, usually it doesn't quite work that way. You, you want to inform uh, and, and, uh, and you try to build things so that that's the way it works. Um, but uh, uh, it, it can be a little more clunky than that more often than not. So what do you, so one thing, it sounds like you are at the midst or in the center of not just making sure people get credit, but also the the solving and predicting of how the disease is spreading so that we can manage um, manage containment. Yeah, we have to be close to it. Um, you know, that's uh, it's I, I, another working hypothesis is I think anybody in the business of trying to figure out how their particular business is going to go over the next two years is going to have a vested interest in understanding disease spread and these flare-ups or hot spots. Uh, because that's going to, if they're doing conducting business and anywhere there's a hot spot, uh, it's going to have an impact. And you know whether whether we're going to rely on our own models at this time, or you know somebody may step up, like we'll say Wharton or something, or we'll use their model. Um, it, it's going to have to be a part of the process so that we can assess, you know, where the risks and recovery, you know, is taking place uh, over the intermediate and long term. So it's. Uh, I think it's kind of a new reality, uh, at least for the next, you know, 12 to 24 months. Uh, so that's, that's why we were putting attention to it. So, so the predicting, and so I hear a couple of things. One is mm. your business pivoted, what you actually sell and the value you create in the world has pivoted as a response to the pandemic. Yeah, so yes. you know, most of our most of experienced business is is going actually pretty well. The uh, 
you know, we support a lot of economies around the globe. And, you know, here even in the U.S., we're a big part of the healthcare ecosystem. So most people don't realize okay. we have about 65% of all hospitals in the United States. About 20% of all claims that run through hospitals come through experience. We make sure that the providers of healthcare are properly compensated by, by insurance companies. And so we're, you know, we're a big part of that ecosystem, which actually has helped us quite a bit because we kind of have, I'll say a little bit of inside baseball, knowing what's taking place, how many folks are, are coming in, you know, complaining of pneumonia or, you know, shortness of breath or those types of things that may wind up eventually being diagnosed as COVID-19. Uh, we also have uh, uh, a lot of perspective in terms of the comorbidities that, that the people are walking in with. So, you know, whether they may have a liver issue or diabetes or uh, uh, asthma or what have you. So uh, we're, we're in a pretty fortunate situation there in terms of uh, the business that we're in and then the data exhaust that comes from that business that we can leverage uh, to um, uh, develop products to help, help folks going forward. So we are getting ready to go into breaks. What do you want our listeners to be thinking about as we go on break at this point about how they can use predictive information uh, to ensure their businesses are successful over the next 18 months to two years? So, you know, a, a few things. One is I would be thinking about, I would be thinking about data. Uh, and uh, we can talk about a bit about that, and then I would be talking about how you're organizing yourself. You know, what are what what is the business environment that you've created in order to be able to leverage new technology uh, to solve the kinds of problems that are put in front of your business. Great. So on that note, I, we're going to go on break, and I encourage our listeners to be thinking about Eric's questions, data, and what environment you need as we move through this pandemic for the next 18 to 24 months. And certainly over that period of time, we're going to get additional information that will shift us even further. So we will be right back. This is Maureen Metcalf and Eric Haller. And we're talking about uh, disruption in the credit industry. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The Innovative Leadership Institute is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and organization. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, the Innovative Leadership Institute has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the capacity to update how they lead, identify, and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. The Innovative Leadership Institute offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with the Innovative Leadership Institute. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com today. 
We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. You are listening to Innovative Leadership, co-creating our future. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. You're with Eric Heller from Experian Labs, Data Labs, and Maureen Metcalf. And we're talking about disruption and innovation in the credit industry. So, Eric, before we went on break, I asked about um, what practical things should leaders be thinking about. And you said uh, data and organization. So, can you tell us more about the kinds of data that people could be looking at and how do they partner with you and others to make sure they get good data and that they are able to actually take the data and turn it into insights and action that helps their business, not just that we have data, but that it tells me what to do. Yep. So I would say this, with respect to innovation, uh, we always walk into any situation with uh, one of the assumptions that we're data starved. And we are one of the, you know, we're a very large company in terms of data assets at our disposal. And we always have, a, you know, that as our starting point uh, to, for any kind of analysis that we do. But when I mean we're data starved, I mean that, you know, whatever that problem is, there's probably other data, other data assets available that I might not have direct access to, but may have uh, a big a role to play in solving whatever that problem is. So with the case of the pandemic, which we were talking about, you know, I, the way I, I try to group things is into leading indicators for, you know, uh, evaluating transmission risk and transit disease spread, current indicators, what's happening now, and lagging indicators, you know, looking back in the rearview mirror. And we listed out all the data assets that we had as a business that we could put into those three three buckets. And then we brainstormed what are all the data assets that we don't have that may be uh, insights into those three three buckets. And what that wound up creating for us was an immediate uh, agenda for our, our strategic business development team to go out and start partnering with different companies to bring in those data assets that we thought may have a bearing on the problem. So that's what I would say. That is something that you can do in pretty much any problem that you're going to face. Take more of a, we'll say, an introspective approach first. What do you have that you can use to, to focus, to bring, bring light or insight into the challenge? And then external, take a, take a perspective outside of yourself and say, what, what could I use? So, you know, a lot of folks use experience for that. We're, we tend to be that kind of uh, 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 exogenous uh, data set, you know, the out, the extra uh, perspective uh, so that, that folks can get a more of a national or global uh, data, data set to evaluate uh, when trying to, you know, it might be, you know, hey, I want to I grow my business and the, where am I going to put my next store, my next franchise, my next office. You know, people use experience for things like that or might be for a targeted marketing campaign 
it's not always about credit. You know, we, we do lots of different things that are, that are, we'll say data and analytics centric. That would be, that would be the, the number one thing. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, even in innovation, the, the data, the data question, uh, cascades to a lot of different areas. And, you know, I think, uh, one of the critical things is making sure that you have a core set of expertise within your enterprise that can evaluate data in the right context. So one of the things that we're very mindful and aware of is that there are a lot of uh, laws in place in any national national uh, uh, geography that we participate in. Here in the U.S., you know, with respect to credit data, obviously there's the Fair Credit and Reporting Act and the ECOA, which would, would over, you know, oversee some of the models that we build. Uh, but then, you know, with us, we also have HIPAA. We also have uh, the, uh, the Drivers Privacy and Protection Act. We've got Graham Leach Bliley. There's so many different laws that are in place that you really should have. If you're getting into one of these areas that are, we'll still call it the area of critical decision making, which is often impactful but also often legislated, uh, you need to make sure that you've got the right expertise, either within your enterprise or you've partnered with somebody that has that expertise that can help you navigate those waters. Okay. So that makes sense. Now let's move to, to structure. And I'm curious, when the pandemic hit, you said 50% of your business or of your work changed as you were looking at different products. How did you change your structure? Or did you? Were you already designed so that you had product teams that were able to shift focus? So I would say, you know, there's there's a few things here. So remember, I, I manage our lab, so we're, we are structured a bit differently than our strategic business units that are, which are all uh, uh, operating businesses with, uh, with responsibilities for uh, meeting uh, uh, investment, uh, you know, the targets that we represent to our investors. So mm-hmm. in the labs, we are, you know, uh, more what I would categorize as research and development the revenues that are generated uh, from products that we build in the labs are actually recognized within the business units themselves, not the labs. So I, you know, where, where we may launch products from the labs uh, in a uh, an early stage three, four, five client environment, if they're going to scale to hundreds or even thousands of clients for Experian, uh, that all takes place through our business units. So it's much easier, I would say, for the labs to pivot uh, quickly and reallocate such a significant workload to something that's more relevant up front. Uh, we designed our labs to be able to do that. But as a business, I would say there's three things that we do in order to be able to react to what's happening in the market. One of the things is that uh, we've developed uh, an executive team uh, that is, we'll call it tech, tech, uh, tech savvy might not be the right word, we'll call it the uh, they're conversational tech. They can actually uh, talk about artificial intelligence or software development uh, in a way that they can have a very uh, transparent conversation with engineers uh, and scientists and feel very comfortable with that. That's important because a lot of times the work that's being done to develop a new product really is taking place in that, we'll call it the core the core of, of that product development cycle, that actual development cycle, you don't want engineers and scientists making a lot of assumptions with the right, sort of the right feedback. Uh, you don't want scientists and engineers to be striving for perfection and not letting a product go out unless it's actually absolutely 100% perfect uh, because those kinds of things 
One is the product may not perform the way it was initially intended, and second, you may never get your product out of development. And so Mm -hmm. uh, by having that transparency between, we'll call it management or leaders or executives, and our scientists and engineers, it allows us to make those decisions much faster uh, during that development during that development cycle process. It also allows us to engage our scientific and development teams much further up in the process. So when you think about, you know, in the old days, it was, I'm going to spend a lot of time, write some really uh, detailed documents, pass it to development. They interpret it, they build it, they give me something back, and we see how it works. That that cycle is almost completely gone. I, I, I was trying to, I'm really hard-pressed to see us engage in a cycle like that anywhere across our company. Uh, you know, Agile is swept through so quickly. And so this, this constant communication that's taking place almost from the point of ideation, you know, definitely from the point of concept mm, development, okay. so far up. So it's allowed, us, it's allowed us that ability to get things out faster. So that's one thing. Second thing is um, we had to organize ourselves in a very nimble fashion. So with our labs, we have business development, product, data science, and software development, all tightly intertwined together. There's almost not a, I don't believe there is a single project that takes place in any of the labs where those four pieces aren't recognized and participating in any particular project. So what does that mean? So when priorities shift, all, all, whatever team is working on something, You've got enough expertise so that they can swarm around something new. So you think about, you know, the the pivot. That if I'm if they're working on something, uh, I'll, I'll give you a perfect example: Fair, fairness in AI. That was a major push for us. Um, you could probably have a whole new show around fairness in AI. It's, it's a super interesting field uh, and and where it's headed. Um, there's a lot of a lot of academic work being done around it. Um, that's one of those areas where mm-hmm. I said, you know. Three to six months from now, we can get back to it while we focus on something at hand. The team that was focused on that immediately pivoted to uh, focus on the pandemic and its impact on consumers. So the business development person focused on different data assets. The product person started focusing on different constructs and frameworks. The data science team started uh, changing you know, the direction on what they were going to focus on in terms of analysis. It happened very quickly. I almost describe it like a beehive and swarms where... You know, we immediately went to a different honeycomb. You know, it was like the whole team shifted Mm -hmm. and and swarmed around the new problem. So you have to create, that's what works for us. You have to create a nimble environment, something that can switch, uh, switch quickly. And the third piece, which I cannot over uh, underscore over uh, or overemphasize is you have to create an environment that is continuously learning. So, you know, everything that I'm talking about is new. Everything is new. And sometimes that means new techniques. New techniques in AI spring forward constantly. It is a constant steady mm-hmm. stream, whether you're following Stanford and Cal and uh, NYU and Columbia, or you're focused on Google and Amazon that will public, you know, publish uh, uh, white papers. It is a continuous stream of new tech that is pouring out. And so our team actually stays on top of all those streams. And we have what we call knowledge sharing sessions where one scientist will learn something, master it, and then they'll turn around and educate hundreds of scientists. So it's something where everyone needs to keep up on what's, what's hot. 
Now, I'll guarantee you Mm -hmm. what's happening right now with the pandemic, we'll probably have a half a dozen knowledge-sharing sessions over the next 8 to 12 weeks just on pandemic-related learnings so that the teams around, around the company can pick up on these things and be able to adapt it into whatever they're developing. So you have to have an environment where everybody from top down and bottom up feels very comfortable with being able to assimilate, uh, uh, you know, ingest mm-hmm. lots of new learnings, new information. Uh, if you don't have that, then, you know, being in the business that the labs are around breakthrough experimentation, you, you're just not going to get it. You just won't get it. Uh, you, you'll fall quickly behind your, you know, whoever you're competing against if, if that's what... Uh, if, if you don't, if you don't take that perspective, you know we're we're releasing a paper in the next month. I hope um, on specifically becoming an agile business and or nimble business is what we call our business agility. Mm-hmm. And so we look at things like this leadership mindset. And one of the things we talk about is intellectual versatility. We have to be continually learning both within our sphere and beyond our sphere. And then mm-hmm. the nimble culture, and that goes with the organizational structure that we have to, again, customer-centric, kind of the agile software development uh, underpinnings and the, the thinking about getting people involved early. Uh, again, the culture of, of being customer-centric, learning quickly, uh, not being perfect, but being good enough to go to the next mm-hmm. step in the experiment. So it, it's it's it feels like you're validating a lot of what we're talking about. <laughs> that's, that's good. Yeah, it works. I think that's you know if that's the environment you want to create, you have to do those kinds of things. I think that's uh, it's 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 more of an imperative. Um, and uh, you know, we got there. I'll say maybe over trial and error a bit. Uh, you know, our labs have been in existence for almost 10 years, which that in and of itself is uh, uh, a testimony because most of these innovation labs only have a shelf life, you know, of two to three years and they're rejected by the business because they don't, you don't get a lot of new products in the market that generate enough revenue to justify the investment. You know, our labs have generated, you know, uh, we generate today over nine figures in revenue for the company. And, you know, the last five years we've had a, uh, compound annual growth rate on those product revenues uh, in the triple digits. So it's, you know, we know wow. that the formula is right. Yeah, we know it's right. We're definitely doing it. And, um, and so it is, it's a perfect validation of all the points you're just making. Well, and so we wrap up in three minutes. Can you give our listeners one to two takeaways and um, where do they reach you or experience? What, what things, if they can do nothing else, what do you want them to be thinking about? Okay, well, um, so for, for one, uh, let's get into some real practical things. If you're a consumer, which I think all your listeners <laughs> qualify as that, and you are concerned about your credit, because um, that, that can be a very real thing, uh, you can get access to your credit report for free right now every single month by going out to uh, annual, uh, annualcreditreport.com. So Experian is giving you access to your credit report for free every single month. Uh, if you have questions around your credit, you're concerned, you can go out to Facebook and every Friday we have a live uh, credit chat. So go to Experian on Facebook and you can find us there and uh, 
Uh, you can actually ask your questions to, in a live chat, uh, which um, many of you might appreciate. If you are a small business and you want access to your credit report, you can go out to our website, Experian.com, and we're allowing free access to, for small businesses to see their credit report. So these are very practical things. Uh, just if you're a small business owner, if you're you know a consumer and you're concerned about your credit, we're trying to make sure that uh, you, you are we're transparent with the information that we have uh, on your behalf, and that uh, and you can get some of your your questions answered. Uh, maybe on a broader perspective, if you are finding uh, some of the things I'm talking about that are you know interesting in terms of innovation or what Experian's doing uh, related to uh, COVID-19. Uh, you can um, you can follow me on LinkedIn. I, I'm always posting uh, news uh, related to uh, uh, what we're doing, the labs are doing. Uh, send just Eric Haller. You can find my profile on LinkedIn. Uh, you can also follow Experian on LinkedIn. Experian posts all of our news globally, so you can keep track with that. Uh, and then some uh, maybe some practical things. If you've heard uh, me talk about uh, data and, and having a different perspective and more of an external perspective, uh, most companies uh, uh, in the United States of a certain size uh, have uh, an account exec relationship with Experian. You know, we we uh, we're a pretty significantly sized company. We have we have a, a sales force that's on the ground. If you find yourself not being, Eric, uh, yes, Eric, I need to cut you off because yes. we're at the uh, end of the show. So okay. thank you very much, and I want to thank our listeners. Uh, please join us again soon. You can reach us at either LinkedIn, Morning Metcalf, and Facebook, Innovate Leadership. Please like us on your favorite platform and join us again to listen to additional people like Eric who are just brilliant and very insightful. Thank you for joining us, Eric. Oh, thanks for having us, Maria. Really appreciate it. Take care. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope you'll join us then and have a great week.